Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Noah was shaken. What he saw in the park that night didn't dissipate and fade away. After a few minutes of fresh air on the swing, he had dismounted and finished the walk home without event. He needed a few extra minutes of wind-down time before he could sleep, so he put on an old favorite TV show. After that, he was able to knock out and sleep. The alarm to get up for breakfast and coffee with his friends came rather quickly. It was a solid sleep, yet Noah was still feeling a bit run down. He made it through his last hangout with his friends rather easily, enjoying lighter chats and many laughs since they had sapped their collective energies for deep stuff the night before. Once Noah dropped them at the airport, he texted Joan to share that he felt exhausted and needed some afternoon rest. She just gave it the heart reaction. Noah headed home and PTFO'd. Later, Noah awoke as the sun started to come down from its afternoon peak. He saw it was past 4 p.m. and that messages from Joan were waiting. She offered to bring over soup and sandwiches and lay low for the evening. Noah was down. He knew he could distract himself with good food, a good movie, and good company. Joan rolled in just before 6 o'clock with the promised meal, and Noah had already inelegantly laid out some plates and silverware on his coffee table for them. Hey, Noah half shouted as she let herself into his apartment. She came over to the couch where he was sitting on his phone. Noah stood up and gave Joan a hug and kiss, which made her smile. He sat back down and began to unpack the food. Joan floated over to the kitchen to grab a drink. The pile of Noah's mail on his counter caught her eye, not for any concern, but just from natural curiosity. Joan stood with her hip against the counter and cocked her head sideways. She gently nudged each item a bit to reveal the next thing underneath. Some bills, a few credit card offers, and then a magazine on the bottom. Like a magician pulling a tablecloth magically from underneath a fully set table, She yanked that bottom item free from the pile. The magazine was bent back, held open to an article, Old Headmaster Finding New Form in Retirement. 
The main picture showed several habited monks in white robes with black smocks at the edges of a group. In the middle, there was one monk in a similar gray robe with a black smock and gray collar. Surrounding him were laymen of various adult ages. Joan's eyes caught a familiar face, Noah's. Her mouth widened into pleasant surprise and a wry smile. She brandished the magazine as she returned to the couch without having gotten that drink. So this is cool, Joan started. Noah looked up from the spread he had laid out and saw her holding the alumni magazine from Cistercian Academy. He chuckled. I don't think I've ever been featured in a magazine before, Noah admitted, gesturing to the photo she was displaying. Well, I don't know if that even counts. It counts, it counts, Joan affirmed. She flopped onto the couch beside him and read the article. It talked about Father Ambrose's tenure as headmaster, his decision to retire, his time on sabbatical, and now his new smaller role in alumni engagement and ministry. I mean, he seems like a dang cool dude. He is, Noah said. He did a great job with us on retreat, and it also went on a food pantry outing he organized. Oh, that's right. That was him too? Cool, Joan replied. She was now thumbing through the magazine to see what else was in there. She imagined Cistercian was a pretty stuffy, preppy place, but could see that it was not without its community and neighborly feel, and seeing the color in the magazine was filling out a fuller image of Noah's alma mater. You know who was the best, though? I don't know if I ever really talked about him to you, Noah teased. His name is Father Chrysogonus, but we just called him Father C. He was my form master, which meant he followed my class from year to year and was our main mentor and advisor the whole way through to graduation. So even when our teachers and rooms changed, he was always there with us. Father C knew us really well, and I enjoyed him. I wasn't such a genius that he was trying to push me, but also I wasn't such a knucklehead that he had to babysit me. He just had a gentle way of walking with us and trying to nudge us forward kindly. Father Chrysogonus, Joan struggled out. You mean like this Father Chrysogonus, she asked, showing him another page of the magazine. Whoa, yeah, that's him, Noah replied in excited surprise as he snatched it from her hands. Maybe if you had read past the article about you, you might have seen it, she joked. Noah tossed a throw pillow at her. Oh man, he's not a form master anymore because he's working in vocation ministry for the community, Noah shared. So like, he's representing the Cistercians at fairs and conferences and stuff and talking with people who might be interested in becoming Cistercian monks. Okay, that's cool, I think, Joan asked. Yeah, it's important work. People who think they want to do it but aren't sure may need someone wise to help them figure it out. And people who are curious need a guide to help them understand and reflect as well. Oh, Father C would be awesome at that, Noah declared. Joan was smirking at Noah a bit. She paused and looked at her feet a moment. Then she went for it. Have you thought about becoming a monk? She blurted. Noah's eyes shot up from the magazine page. No. No. Well... No, Noah answered. Joan waited him out a second. Noah continued. Well, I mean, I don't know exactly what it's like for Catholic girls, but as a Catholic boy in a Catholic high school with monks as teachers and coaches, it is just kind of in the air and part of the school, Noah explained. We'd pray for vocations all the time. Different monks would visit theology classes and talk about their calls to religious life. There were posters and art and historical displays all over the school about the Cistercians. And so even if you don't like seriously, personally consider it, it's something that's right in front of your face on a daily basis. 
I would say I never actively explored it, but the idea was never far from me. And I guess I considered it here or there during high school, but never really since then. Joan was a cradle Catholic, a slightly lapsed adult Catholic, and a product of public education. She sort of vaguely got it, but she didn't totally get it. Hmm, okay, she replied. But he wasn't doing this work when you were a student, right? He was just like a teacher or advisor or whatever? For master, Noah corrected. I know, he added, rolling his eyes a bit at himself and the system. He gave himself that metaphorical slap on the wrist, mostly to appease Joan, and not because he actually thought the Cistercian system was silly. Four masters are like a class moderator, advisor, mentor, advocate, etc. Very shepherd-type role. But then when I was a senior, I had him as a teacher for an elective theology class. He taught us about prayer and spirituality, Noah explained. He taught us all different types of prayer and introduced us to different spiritualities through some of the saints and founders of religious communities. Then he'd have us try different prayer experiences. Like he'd spend entire class periods leading prayer services or having us prepared to lead each other. There were a lot of days when it was hard or seemed uninteresting, but he always said, you might not remember everything, you might not learn everything, but I always hope I can be some kind of voice in your mind or heart that draws you toward prayer. Who knows exactly what kept me on the path of faith? My parents, my school, my college, my social choices, all of it. But Father C and that class particularly have to have been part of it. Hey man, it sounds pretty cool, Joan admitted. Why don't you hit him up? The article said he's set up with an email address and living by the school. Noah was intrigued. That's not a bad idea, Noah said, scanning the page for Father C's contact information. All right, let's eat some soup. Joan nodded and grabbed the remote to queue up a show to stream. Noah grabbed a first bite of sandwich and then opened his phone. He opened his Gmail app to a new message, typed Father C's email address in the blank box, and saved it to drafts. Over the course of slurps of soup and glorbs of sandwich, Noah typed out a message saying hello, briefly reintroducing himself, and asking Father C if he had time to meet. He decided to send it right then and get the ball rolling. By the time Noah had cleaned his plate, Father C had replied. The TV episode was over, and Joan popped up to bust the dirty dishes. Noah leaned back on the couch and opened the message to read it silently. Noah, such a blessing to hear from you. My appointment book is pretty wide open in the early going here. How about coffee on Saturday morning? Say nine at the front of the Abbey Church. God bless, Father C. Noah didn't hesitate to reply with a confirmation. Somehow, a cold sandwich and a cold call email went perfect with a hot bowl of soup. He felt consoled, felt a bit more solid, especially after the previous night had rendered him so wobbly. Joan came back to the couch, and he settled in next to her as she played the next episode of their show. Father C was a handshaker, and an occasional shoulder grasper or back patter, but rarely a hugger. Noah could remember Father C offering hugs at graduation, but that was it. That Saturday morning, when Noah entered the front doors of the church, Father C extended his hand. Noah met it with a firm handshake and a bright smile. Noah couldn't help but feel that, even though he was a grown man in his mid-twenties, that he was looking at an authority figure rather than a peer. Father C might have had that gravitas to Noah's eyes, but Father C's body language and disposition were anything but superior. The monk extended a hand to gesture toward a sitting area, off to the side from the church, so Noah headed that way as his old foremaster followed. 
A pair of simple chairs were set on either side of a modest coffee table, where a carafe, plain white mugs with wooden stir sticks, and diner-style containers of cream and sugar sat at the ready for a party of two. Noah took a seat, and Father C. sat down opposite him. Noah was delighted to be in his old digs, where he had almost exclusively positive memories, even if that slightly ignored the tiredness and stress of the hard work he had done in his years there. He poured his coffee, leaving it black, and raised an eyebrow to offer to fill Father C.'s cup. The monk nodded in gratitude to Noah, who completed that simple act of service, and then started to recede into mild anxieties. Joan was kind and sweet to suggest reaching out. I did because I felt that instinct to follow a humble suggestion. But now I'm here and what do I talk about? Noah thought. What do I not talk about? Does he want to hear about claims adjusting? Does he want to hear about retreats and prayer experiences and homelessness? Does he want to hear about girlfriends? Father C spoke up. What a blessing to hear from you. And what a blessing to have you here. You know, when I reconnect with old students, they're excited to visit, but often don't know what to say or what to ask or what to talk about. So why don't I just tell you, don't worry, I'm just glad you are here. And selfishly, can I ask a first question? Noah let his smile gradually escape onto his lips. Ha, ah, of course, he said. The monk smiled and leaned in with a gentle earnestness. Have you seen fruits in your life that you can trace back to your time at the academy? Father C asked. Of course, Noah said without hesitating. For one, I don't know that I would have even looked at Catholic universities if it wasn't for the positive experience I had here. And DePaul turned out to be a great place academically for service and for social life, and my college years were my springboard to a year of postgrad service. Just like that, they were well on their way into conversation. And what did you do for service, Father C.S.? I was a catch-all volunteer for a new service corps with Catholic Charities in Southern Texas, Noah explained. I would say that the academy was sort of like my runway, where I learned to get up to speed gradually with my faith. Okay, forgive me, but allow me another question, Father C. wondered. He paused, and Noah nodded to wave him on. Has that path continued, or do you feel you left it behind at your volunteer site? You know, I was just telling my girlfriend, Noah started. He had, just a few minutes ago, felt uncertain about even mentioning his girlfriend to this monk-slash-priest-slash-vocation director who walked with potential monks. He briefly felt a bit self-conscious, worried he brought up Joan as a deflection or defense mechanism, or to keep Father C. at a distance. I was telling her that I don't know the ratios, but I have been blessed to have good influences at school and at home that help shape my faith for the best. I'm not exemplary by any means, but I do feel a natural draw to go to Mass every week and pray regularly, Noah explained. How is your prayer life then? Father C. asked, this time without seeking permission, delighted with the direction of conversation. He thought perhaps he could just proceed on at this point. I'm curious by personality anyway, but then also to talk to a faithful young adult and an alumnus of our academy, as well as to a member of my old form and a student from my spirituality class. Noah smiled, and he thought for a second. I mean, my prayer life is good. It's unusually exceptional right now. Do I want to share what's going on? Do I need to share what's going on? Noah wondered. I mean, I was not okay last weekend after what I saw, and I only felt better when I rested, invited in Joan, and took up her suggestion to email Father C. Keep following the humble and benevolent suggestions, Noah. When you quiet yourself enough to do the good thing in front of you, things become more peaceful. Why change now?
Noah let out a steady exhale and relaxed his shoulders. It's been great, Noah started. Father C jumped a bit in his seat at that exceptional response. Are you ready for this, Noah asked, chuckling. Father C nodded and leaned a bit forward with kind perplexedness. So Noah told him the whole story, from the January retreat up to now, at least the 10-ish minute version. He worked his way from the Abbey Church to Jericho and back, to Sunday Mass in the young adult scene, to the existing food pantry and the imagined one, and then to that park last Saturday night. Noah had cruised a little more confidently through the previous episodes, having described them to others once before, but his pace slowed when describing this last, most difficult experience. It was still raw, still unprocessed, still impacting him viscerally. As his pace changed, so too did his affect. He went from upbeat and curious about what had happened to that point, to now being more withdrawn and skeptical. Father C, it was jarring, Noah said. I could feel the pains of hunger. I could sense the isolation I was choosing, even when offers of help were flying in. My mind was frozen by the bad luck and bad timing with how I burned through savings and wound up nearly broke because of the sequence of it. It was like I was walking in the same life where I hadn't really messed anything up, but in this parallel version, it had all fallen apart and blasted me away from what I'd always had. Father C, listening along, formed an O shape with his mouth and shot out a slow, long exhale, as if to chew on the hard vibes of where Noah had last been. That is challenging. Do you still feel that this experience was a good? That it was from God? Noah didn't really think twice. Of course. Well, that's encouraging. I believe it is too. I believe God is showing you something challenging. Something that stretches your heart to new flexibility and greater capacity for love. Like, do you ever stretch before running or biking or playing sports? It can hurt a little as you apply some pressure to extend and prepare your muscles for exercise but it ultimately improves your performance and keeps you healthy. That's true, Noah laughed briefly, acknowledging a quality metaphor. It just, it was such a departure from the type of challenge I found in my other experiences. Those times I was able to get quiet and hear God. I was able to be present to Bartimaeus and spoke back to Christ. I was invested in mass and saw a possible ministry. Even coming back from the food pantry, I was thinking positive discernment thoughts and saw a direction to go to serve. Noah explained. This one didn't feel positive. It took me to the brink. Noah was in full gear, doing introspection and vulnerability naturally. Father C was glad to go there with him and could keep pace with organic ease. God's grace is moving everywhere, even in places of desolation or loneliness. That is when it can become harder to identify it, because we often don't look earnestly for it, and usually with good reason. We become so zoomed in on the hardships that arise that we lose sight of the love that remains. And if we dwell there too long, our sense of grace can atrophy. I think your experience showed you glimmers of what people sometimes feel after catching bad breaks. They may reject help, turn in on themselves, and find ways to blame God and others who continue to love them, Father C suggested. Why did I need to experience that, though? Noah asked. He was kind of processing on the fly, and Father C was the right dialogue partner, because Noah felt like he was breaking through the paralysis the last experience had wrought. What was missing in me that I needed to see and learn there? It almost feels like, if this really is grace moving to create clarity, then that was almost like God causing me suffering. Father C raised his eyebrows. He knew exactly how to pick that apart. 
that God doesn't cause suffering, but can walk with people to redeem suffering that transpires. But he took it easy. Noah was coming into his own in a new and gradual way, so the monk wanted to walk slowly with him there. He wanted Noah to get there as much on his own as possible. And to Father C, it appeared that Noah mostly could. I would honor the emotions behind that doubt, but encourage you to hold fast to a God who is love and who does not will evil, Father C hinted. And I don't want to put words in God's mouth or script answers for your mind, but I'd consider these experiences to be ways God is helping you grow and develop, not tearing you down. Noah nodded, a bit unsatisfied, and Father C appreciated that. I'd suggest to you that God is simply taking the realities that are already in your heart. God is working with those components that have already formed in your life and those things that are seeds of who he created you to become. And God is gracing your prayer with rich experiences that you might see both who you largely already are and who you may yet become, Father C. added. I think all of these things are essentially already within you. All of these capacities pre-exist, so to speak. But the things you are finding in these experiences are God turning your brainstorms and your first drafts of ideas into feature films with apparently excellent production value, the monk laughed. Noah chuckled too and refreshed himself with a healthy chug of coffee. They continued to chat at length, exploring and processing Noah's experiences in an engaging dialogue. Father C was a veteran at accompaniment. He knew not to entertain every eager urge of curiosity, not to pursue every line of questioning, not to give complete and exhaustive answers to every question. He knew how to start a conversation assertively and downshift to listen and reply attentively. In fact, while he didn't consider this a religious vocation conversation, he did have in his mind a gentle rule that a wise fellow vocation director had suggested. Set a time limit, say 60 or 90 minutes, and never let any single conversation during accompaniment exceed that. There could always be another meeting, another phone call, another FaceTime. There could always be new grace in leaving things be for a moment and coming back to them fresh in a week or a month. Father C had set himself that 60-minute limit, and he noticed that his talk with Noah was nearing that hour mark. At a break in the action, Father C used Noah's next sip of coffee to wrap things up. Noah, it's clear that we could talk for ages, and there's no reason why we shouldn't do this more often now, Father C explained, but let's leave it there for today and look to a next time soon. Sure, sure, Noah replied. At first, Noah felt a little short-shrifted, but he knew these monks led a disciplined life. He respectfully deferred. Can I ask one last question before I go? Of course, Father C agreed. Noah chuckled a bit. Do you have any advice? Like, am I doing this right? Should I change something? Should I try to keep doing anything? Father C smiled, thinking he could probably extend the conversation by another hour trying to answer this question. He opted for a few simple points. I don't want you to overthink this. I'll just say these bits. First, God answers prayer. If you indeed spoke directly to Christ and asked for the grace of clarity, then I think as long as you're proceeding in humility and faithfulness, then you should consider these experiences the beginnings of an answer to your prayer. Second, I think sometimes we get so honed in discerning one particular thing that we perhaps lose sight of our broader gifts, of our whole person. I expect that when I walk with men who would like to become monks that I'll find a lot of single-mindedness, a lot of obsession with prayer and rigidity, and a lot of closed or disintegrated people. I think your experience is a blessing, 
because you are seeing the multi-potentiality of your very self and your life. You are not having repetitive experiences of one career or job or setting, and I think that's because these are prayerful extensions of parts of you that are already alive within you, of ideas and gifts and passions and questions that show the many things that you could be capable of doing. Last, it's sort of a be careful what you wish for idea. Father C sort of comedically looked both ways from his chair and then continued. Grace is a bitch, Father C loudly whispered, then laughed, knowing it was unusual for someone to hear a monk curse. You ask for grace and, uh-oh, now it's moving and rarely moving. Grace will meet you where you are, but grace will not leave you where it found you. So be true to the emotions that pop up and know that if the grace keeps flowing like this, the emotions will probably be potent. Father C rested his case. He let out a soft exhale and slapped his thighs. Most of all, I'm excited for you. You're a young man of faith who is alive. The open-endedness might seem daunting, but it is largely a blessing, at least from where I sit, Father C said, nodding. Well, I can't thank you enough. A week ago, I was worried that I would lose my momentum. It was like I'd fallen off a train after that oddball experience. But now I feel like I never veered off the path I had found. I feel rebalanced. Thanks for the tune-up, Noah said. Father C stood up. Noah rose too. Father C reached to shake his hand while using his free hand to give Noah a light shoulder grasp. Noah said goodbye and headed for the door. Father C stood in his place and watched the young man depart. I guess he knew Jesus was talking to him, Father C said out loud. So I've worked at several different Catholic schools over the period of several years, and I remember when I was brand new at one of them, meeting one of my male colleagues who was a teacher, and learning a little bit about his approach and his strategy for teaching. And he openly admitted he cultivated a cult of personality. He tried his best to be as cool and as funny and as engaging to the kids as he could be, and he wanted them to think he was cool and to sort of latch on to him. And I remember my instinct being like, that doesn't seem healthy. That seems like a guy who's maybe out for vanity or a guy who's thirsting for social engagement and connections with others. But then getting to see this guy teach and getting to see how he related to students and the ways he spent extra time and attention helping kids read and write better, you could see that it wasn't actually about whether or not they liked him and that it wasn't to stroke his ego or make him feel better about himself. He just genuinely thought that that sort of approach was the best way to engage kids and get them to care and get them to learn. And I realized that something that on its surface might seem like kind of a vanity exercise was actually a pretty well thought out, authentically and genuinely done teaching strategy that he used to make an atmosphere of learning and engagement and community among the students at our school. It made me think a bit about one of my approaches when I was a teacher, where working with maybe half Catholic and half lapsed Catholic or Protestant or non-religious students, you have to figure out ways to teach about Catholicism that will still engage students who will probably never practice the faith, and some who may be even openly hostile or seeking to tear down the faith in the church. So one of the things I used to tell students during lessons that were particularly challenging about moral absolutism or teachings about how we ought to behave morally or ethically was that I didn't need them to agree with everything I said, but I needed them to take the time to understand it 
and to be able to explain to me that they understand it and show me how they've reflected upon it. So I used to tell them, I don't need you to agree with me, but I need you to understand me. And I always hoped that that was at least a small way that especially non-Catholic students, but even Catholic students who are trying to grow in their faith, could engage with everything we covered from Catholic social teaching to morals and ethics to, you know, an adult lived owned faith. It made me think too of retreats I would do with high school seniors where we would still have prayer, we would still have journaling time, we would still be talking about and reflecting upon our faith, what we thought God was calling us to do. But the topics that we used to move the retreat forward were topics that would challenge a young person as they grew up. Things like integrity, family and relationships, sexuality, identity and social connections, and then trying to become all that God made you to be. When we would talk about the social stuff, inevitably there were students who would admit that they were sexually active as teenagers or had tried drugs and alcohol and maybe even are continuing to try it. And whenever we would hear stuff like that, we would try to receive them pastorally, but internally it always kind of conflicted me, made me wonder to what extent are we creating a safe place to explore and grow? And to what extent are we maybe in the troublesome area of letting kids kind of brag to each other or celebrate the sketchy choices they've made? And so one of the things I would tell the students, particularly when we split into a male section and a female section for a conversation about sexuality, was that I didn't need them to necessarily deeply understand and fully commit to every detail of church teaching. But I hoped that the things they heard from me and from the other adults on the retreat and the takeaways from the discussions we were having would at least have a chance to pinball around in their heads and remain with them as they continue to grow up, as they continue to face new social situations and continue to try to learn what's right, how to stand up for it and how to act rightly. So it wasn't so much about trying to polish them into perfect little moral automatons but trying to put these teachings from the scriptures and the gospel, from Catholic tradition and social teaching, to get it all into their heads and their hearts, and to hope that as they moved forward in their young lives, when they faced difficult situations, when they were navigating dilemmas, when they were learning who they are, when they're making social choices about who to befriend, what parties to go to, what groups to join, that all of this stuff would continue pinballing around in their heads. And that Catholicism and its social tradition would have a say, and that it would be a meaningful part of who they are, who they were becoming, and how they think and act. And as a teacher, as tempting as it might be to hope that you can achieve something really concrete during the finite time that you have young people in front of you, I think the even more important thing, the fundamental thing, is to know that you're a seed sower, that you're a link in a long chain, and that you might be planting something that another friend or another mentor harvests months or years or decades down the road. And maybe the person remembers you particularly, but even more importantly, I hope that people remember that growth and learning and realization happened among a community of people who are all striving towards the same thing, but most importantly happened in a place where Christ was welcome, where the Holy Spirit was was moving and whose movement we were aware of, and where God had a chance to reveal to each of us and to our community, how much love was present in relationships 
and how much love was moving between us as we were all together. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.